You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now a word from our sponsor, Netscope. Netscope is a worldwide leader in SASE and Zero Trust. Its unified platform, Netscope One, provides optimized access and zero trust security for people, devices, and data anywhere they go, helping customers reduce risk, accelerate performance, and get unrivaled visibility into any cloud, web, and private application activity. To learn more about how Netscope helps customers be ready for anything on their sassy journey, visit netskope.com. Sixty Russian diplomats are now persona non grata in the U.S. It's the largest retaliation so far for the Russian nerve agent attacked in Salisbury, England. Fear of a Russian response against Western power grids remains high. Cambridge Analytica was raided over the weekend in the continuing Facebook data scandal. Facebook faces more difficulties over Android data collection. Notes on malware circulated in the wild. Iran objects to U.S. indictments. And the alleged Carbonac mastermind is arrested in Spain. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Monday, March 26, 2018. The U.S. this morning expelled 60 Russian diplomats in response to Russia's nerve agent assassination attempt in Salisbury, England. The U.K. had expelled 23 Russian diplomats last week. Other countries doing the same in solidarity with the U.K. include Germany, France, and Poland, expelling four diplomats each. Lithuania, with three expulsions and bans on visits from 44 Russian nationals, and Ukraine, with 13 Russians being declared persona non grata. Other NATO and European Union countries are expected to follow suit. The moves come during a period of heightened fears of cyber attack, especially Russian cyber attacks against vulnerable power grids. Enforcement officers from the UK's Information Commissioner's Office raided Cambridge Analytica's London headquarters late Friday night, tossing the place until 3 o'clock Saturday morning. Cambridge Analytica acting CEO Alexander Taylor, standing in for the suspended Alexander Nix, said the company believed the data they obtained had been gotten in accordance with both Facebook's terms of service and applicable data protection laws. He made this public statement. Quote, I am sorry that in 2014, SCL Elections, an affiliate of Cambridge Analytica, licensed Facebook data from a research company that had not received consent from respondents. The company believed the data had been obtained in line with Facebook's terms of service and data protection laws. We are now undertaking an independent third-party audit to verify that we do not hold any GSR data. End quote. GSR is the research firm that initially obtained the information. Taylor also said the whistleblower who was the source of the allegations against the company, Christopher Wiley, was no whistleblower at all, but a part-time contractor who worked for Cambridge Analytica for less than a year and left in 2014. What the ICO officers found in their raid, if anything, is of course not yet known. The judge, who issued the search warrant Friday, is expected to explain his ruling this week. We do know that Cambridge Analytica and Facebook are in hot water in Chicago. Cook County, Illinois, charged them Friday with violations of Illinois anti-fraud laws for compromising users' privacy. 
Facebook disputes an Ars Technica report that Facebook indiscriminately collected Android data, including calls. The denial insists that in this case Facebook collected only data users gave it permission to collect. Ars Technica found that call logs were being collected and retained. The information collected is said to include numbers of contacts and the date, time, and duration of calls. Facebook's explanation is that call and text history logging is part of an opt-in feature for users of Messenger or Facebook Lite on Android. The company began to ask for explicit permission to access SMS and call data in 2016 after complaints that their previous way of obtaining opt-in was an OK button that approved, quote, keeping all your SMS messages in one place, end quote. Facebook has been clobbered in the market by the data scandal, losing, according to MarketWatch, $75 billion in market cap last week. For purposes of comparison, that's like losing a Raytheon plus two Booz Allens, which is a lot of market cap lost. Yesterday, Facebook took out a big full-page print ad in the Washington Post, the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, and six British papers. The ad apologizes for not better protecting users' data, Writing in the first-person singular, CEO Zuckerberg writes, quote, You may have heard about a quiz app built by a university researcher that leaked Facebook data of millions of people in 2014. This was a breach of trust, and I'm sorry we didn't do more at the time. We're now taking steps to make sure this doesn't happen again, end quote. So, the company continues to frame the scandal as a relatively restricted app issue. Zuckerberg says, quote, Finally, we'll remind you of which apps you've given access to your information so you can shut off the ones you don't want anymore, end quote. And he closes with a, quote, Thank you for believing in this community. I promise to do better for you, end quote. It's worth noting that the ad ran in papers, that is, in Dead Tree Legacy Media. The irony is obvious, and the ad campaign has already prompted a Twitter hashtag, Print is the new privacy app. Other similar hashtags will surely follow. Here's one we suggest as officials consider election security. How about hashtag paper is voting's killer app? It's catchy, hmm? Several relatively new strains of malware are being tracked in the wild. Here's a quick rundown. Late last week, the gang behind the Rapid ransomware released version 2.0. It's little changed from the original, but with one significant alteration. It will not execute on a victim machine if it detects Russian locale settings. Malware Hunter team, which found Rapid 2.0, sees signs it may have been released prematurely. Its source code wasn't packed. Malware Hunter team has also described AVCrypt ransomware, remarkable for its attempt to uninstall security software before it begins encrypting files on a victim machine. It may be a wiper, since it offers no instructions for paying the ransom. And, like Rapid 2.0, AVCrypt's source code also wasn't packed. DiskWriter, or Useless Disk, is a master boot record bootloader that bleeping computer thinks may also be a wiper, since the criminals leave no way of paying the $300 ransom they demand. WebRoot reports that the TrickBot banking trojan has received a new module that can lock an infected system to hold it for ransom. Sophos Labs found six malicious apps in Google's Play Store, Five posed as QR readers, the sixth as a smart compass. All have been reported and removed, but not before attracting half a million downloads. Trend Micro has found Monero crypto miners installed in Linux servers via an old vulnerability in the Cacti Network Weather Map plugin. 
Iran has expressed outrage over the U.S. indictment of nine hackers working for the Mabna Institute. Their long-running cyber espionage campaign began by phishing universities, then pivoting to corporations and government agencies. Interestingly, universities in the U.S. seem not particularly concerned about the campaign. The Chronicle of Higher Education reports that the Academy seems blasé about the whole affair, regarding it apparently as more geopolitics than, well, IP theft that might affect spin-offs and so forth. The alleged leader of the Carbonac Financial Services hacking gang has been arrested in Spain, collared in a collaborative effort involving at least five nations. Europol was in on the bust, as were the FBI, and police in Spain, Belarus, Taiwan, and Romania. The gentleman's identity has not yet been made public. He's just being referred to as leader, mastermind, and so forth. But he'll no doubt receive his day in court, and then we'll all know. Europol thinks the arrest likely to amount to a decapitation of the gang. Ukrainian police also arrested one of the gang's principal developers, a resident of Kiev. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. And joining me once again is Daniel Prince. He's a senior lecturer in cybersecurity at Lancaster University. Uh, Daniel, welcome back. Um, we wanted to talk today about risk management, uh, specifically the way that people talk about cybersecurity risks and the effect that has on the industry. What can you share with us with this? So for for a very long time, I've been really interested in uh, cybersecurity risk management. And uh, that really stemmed from a lot of the work that I was doing around teaching this as part of the master's degree. And then also a lot of the work that I was doing working with, with companies and just observing the way that they all had different approaches to not just the risk management systems that they had in place, but also 
the, the, the kinds of conversations they were having with each other. Um, and so uh, I was just started then wondering, do we really have a really strong handle on what it means to have uh, a really good cybersecurity risk management approach that is robust for organizations that really enables positive outcomes rather than the slightly more defensive conversations that we typically have in, in this particular domain. And so what is your take on that? How are organizations uh, doing well and falling short when it comes to their risk management? So I had an opportunity to work with um, a large, very large organization in the UK as they established a, a new approach to cybersecurity within within their, their organization. They were setting up a brand new uh, organizational structure specifically to deal with cybersecurity. Um, and what was interesting is around how they actually did that. Unlike a lot of organizations where the cybersecurity function is rolled into, say, for example, the IT function or a, a specific risk function, their information security group was actually separate from all of that, but sat underneath the uh, chief operating officer uh, and had uh, the chief information security of, uh, officer had the same sort of status as the chief information officer. Mm. And what that really meant was that unlike if, say, for example, an information security group is part of uh, the IT group, um, they could actually have sort of almost separate conversations. They could have uh, much better advisory conversations because they weren't then the ones responsible for implementing the security solutions or um, marking whether they'd done the security solutions right. It was a completely separate um, uh, sort of group within the organization. Hmm. And that meant that the business unit owners uh, could have uh, what I perceive to be much more open and free communications with uh, the information security group because they could come in and say, well, here are what the risks we have, uh, we think you have as part of your day-to-day -day business. Uh, and this is what we think you should do, but it's up to you to go away and make sure that you get that implemented as part of your operational risk approach and commission those types of services from the internal security group. And they were having much more open and frank conversations around risk and what the, the hazards, were, hazards were to that, that particular business unit. And uh, the, what I perceived was a much more positive response uh, from those business units. Um, unlike uh, where you do have, oftentimes, information security groups as part of the IT group, where you know it's really somebody coming in and telling you what you should be doing, why you're doing it wrong, and then also being responsible for implementing that solution and then marking it. So it's it's a very, very different approach to have that separation, and I believe to be a much more positive approach. Uh, and then from that, it just asked, I started to ask questions around sort of consent within organizations. Do you, when you're trying to inform people about information security challenges, do you actually have the appropriate levels of consent with the people that you're talking to? And then I started to pull in ideas around uh, the original concept of uh, policing within uh, the UK. So, uh, Sir Robert Peel is the, the sort of the father of policing in in the UK. Uh, he established the first police force, and one of his key tenets uh, of policing was you you cannot police unless you have the consent of uh, the population. Mm -hmm. I started to ask questions around: Do we really have the organisational structures and the risk management approaches to foster that consent and foster that permission? for the information services teams to really be able to support the rest of the organization to deliver very positive security outcomes for the organization. 
Oh, that's fascinating. So rather than being adversarial, it sounds like uh, this leads toward collaboration. Yeah, and I think that's one of the sort of my one of my big things over the last uh, 15 years has been that I, I firmly believe that cybersecurity is a business enabler. It's not a thing that you have to do to protect your business. If you do cybersecurity right, it's about being able to drive your organisation forward in a much more positive way. And so that fits with my overall ethos that actually collaborating um, rather than getting that adversarial approach, which seems to be a lot of uh, a lot of the approaches that, that that are out there at the moment, actually enables you to drive forward the organization in a positive way rather than it's just a task that you have to do to kind of meet regulator requirements. Daniel Prince, thanks for joining us. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for CyberWire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Hey all, Rick here. At N2K CyberWire, we're dedicated to continuously improving the quality of the news and commentary on our network. That's why we're inviting you to participate in our 2024 audience survey. It only takes a few minutes and your feedback is invaluable. Plus, you'll have the chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card as a thank you for your time. Head on over to cyberwire.com survey. That's cyberwire.com survey to share your feedback now. And now a word from our sponsor, SpyCloud, the leader in operationalizing cybercrime analytics. Traditional threat intelligence is a thing of the past. Cyber criminals are stealing vast amounts of credentials, session cookies, and financial data every day, and it's hard to keep up. SpyCloud is the trusted partner businesses turn to to fully understand their darknet exposure risk and neutralize threats before it's too late. 
SpyCloud alerts your organization as soon as an employee or customer's data appears on the dark net, so you can act faster than bad actors to prevent cyber attacks like ransomware, session hijacking, account takeover, and online fraud. With insights from the industry's largest repository of recaptured data, protect the digital identities and systems most important to your business. Get your free corporate darknet exposure report at spycloud.com slash cyberwire and see what information criminals have in their hands today. That's spycloud.com slash cyberwire. Cyberwire. 